This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio. My guest today is Phantom Dark Dave. Dave is a podcaster, screenwriter, filmmaker, and actor. But he might best be known for his two podcasts, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, which is now a YouTube channel, and the podcast From Another World, where he talks about all things pop culture, including movies and comic books. In fact, Dave has spent his whole life idolizing films, especially those of the horror genre, and he's written a couple of his own movies. He's tried his hand at acting and directing, and rumor has it he's even worked with trauma films, and he's won a few awards as a filmmaker. Dave and I first met through our mutual friend Evan at From the Wastes on Twitter, and we've been talking about collaborating on something ever since. In fact, the more we talk, the more we find that we have in common, which is one of the reasons why I invited Dave to come on. This episode goes quite a bit off topic from what it usually focuses on, but Dave has been such a source of inspiration to the podcast that I insisted, and he accepted. Aside from everything else I mentioned, he's a father, he lives in Texas with his cat, Kick, and he's an all-around decent human being. He's also one of the people responsible for me starting this podcast. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio, Dave, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's about time I did this. Did I leave anything out about your background? No, man, you pretty much covered it. I'm a pretty simple guy. Awesome. Uh, first, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about your early life experiences. Yeah, sure. So where and when did you grow up? So I am a product of the 80s. I was born in 84, and I've spent my entire life in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I've been in Texas the whole time. I love Texas, man. I do too. It's a good place. Yeah. I've only been there a couple of times. Uh, it's a beautiful place, a lot of places to visit. And, um, man, it's just the American spirit right there. We try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when, as you were growing up as a, you know, little guy running around in Texas, you ever have a favorite place? And do you think that had any influence on your creativity? I think much like any kid, my favorite place was McDonald's. <laughs> I just uh, well, enjoyed, yeah. you know, uh, eating and having the toy. But as I grew older and not too much long after the little kid stage, I started to discover my passion for movies. And so I would be willing to go anywhere if they sold movies because I just loved looking at the covers. Awesome. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. The days of the video stores is long past. I mean, you can still walk into couple of different big box stores and find a display of DVDs, but it's not the same as it was back when we had over, over some of Blockbuster video or Hollywood video. Times have changed, huh? They sure have, man, but I still settle for it. I mean, I, I got to be honest. I love this day and age we live in because convenience rules, especially at a time like this, so I can click a button and just stream anything at my fingertips. But when I go to the big box stores, I always check out the movie section. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. So what do you have any, uh, well, I'm sure you do, but what are your earliest memories, good or bad, about movies? So just movies in general, man. I just, discovering film, uh, discovering my passion for collecting film, whether it was the box art or just because it's a movie I could watch several times. I always bought movies that are still one-time watches, but I still have to have them. And I don't know, man. It's just, it's who I am. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean about the the cover art. 
one of the first movies I remember looking at the poster art for was Star Wars. And that was just such an iconic image. Uh, do you have any movies that uh, kind of impacted you that way as a kid? It's funny you bring up Star Wars because I feel like that's how every sci-fi film is. Regardless of how good the movie is, they always have amazing posters. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Uh, so, and then uh, last question on this topic. Is there any person or event in your life as you were growing up that you would say contributed most to your passion about movies? There's two people that come to mind, man. My grandfather, growing up, he was always the movie guy, um, and he collected movies insanely. And so I'm talking, you know, some people have a library and it's just full of books and that's what he had, but a VHS tapes. And it was something that amazed me. And whenever I got to visit him, I did visit him, but I also visited his collection and would watch movies consistently. But more than anything else, it's my aunt growing up, you know, my aunt and I were only 15 years apart. So there's always been that close connection, but she took me to see my very first horror movie in theater. I had seen a few other horror movies on VHS before, but seeing it on the big screen in the most captivating way, she was my gateway into horror. And to this day, somebody who I'm very close to and could talk about horror movies with every day. That's pretty awesome. Um, and how old were you when she took you to, to the theater? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she hates this. I was like 11, and she took me to see Scream because I remember... You know, back in the day when the movie theaters, you used to be able to stand outside the door and there'd be like the window and you can kind of see through. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen those theaters that have that, but you can kind of watch the movie until you got caught. And I had okay. literally, I broke my own rule. Like I was watching the end of a movie and I, I would never do that today. I would never watch a sequel without seeing the original. And I'd never watch the end before seeing the beginning. But I remember watching some of the last few minutes of Scream and I was just captivated by it. And I told her and her already loving horror she was the best influence in the world, man. She took me to see it, and we went to a dollar theater. I don't even know if those still exist anymore, but it was a game changer for sure. Yeah, I think they're all $5 theaters nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's a pretty good story. I, I went to see my first horror movie, and I think I would have to say it was probably Alien. Uh, oh, actually, no, it might have been prior to that. My uncle took me to a drive-in theater and the movie last house on the left was playing (laughs) and i actually saw that when i was about i don't know maybe eight or nine years old i can only imagine and yeah i have a similar experience with that where you know i mentioned on theater but one of the first horror movies ever that i saw was a vhs tape that i found and it was unmarked Mm -hmm. so already not a good start and it was wait 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 sorry to interrupt you man you were watching found footage videotapes on VHS before that was even a thing. <laughs> Did I get that right? <laughs> uh, in no sense. It was it was definitely um it was a grindhouse movie, man. It was I spit on your grave. And I was the same age. I was eight. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I've never seen that movie, but I heard it's pretty pretty graphic. It's in the same vein as Last House on Your Left. Same traumatizing oh, yeah. experience. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah definitely not something for that age group for sure. Yeah, nowadays you just have to change your password. That way little kiddos can't log into your Netflix or Amazon and see those grindhouse pictures. Definitely. Exactly. Uh, Okay, so the uh, next thing I like to talk about is the creative interests and influences. And um, 
just get an idea of your personal tastes. So do you have a favorite movie? If it's okay with you, I want to name two. Yeah, sure. The funny thing about a favorite movie is for the longest time, it's a difficult question because I'm a fan of many genres. And so I probably have a favorite movie from each genre. But my favorite movies are going to be Casablanca from 1942 and Halloween from 1978. Oh, both excellent and both classics. Uh, So what is it about Casablanca that you love? It's a movie that I've always known about. And it's a movie that had some of the most iconic dialogue. And it, it was always on those like top 101 movie quotes that you don't know or whatever. And it had, it was, it had more lines on that list than any other movie. And so I was like, man, I need to see this movie. And I remember when I had watched it, it was this eye opening experience. And it was my introduction to Humphrey Bogart, who now has become my favorite actor. And I'll just say that movie is probably the most well-written movie I've ever seen. Very cool. And I agreed. Uh, Humphrey Bogart was a super stud. I mean, even by today's standards, Humphrey Bogart is Humphrey Bogart. Okay, that dude set the bar. And um, yeah, as far as uh, the the romance, even though it was a rom, it, I guess it was a romance. That's the way I see it. But it had enough action and enough mystery and that drama that it just captivates you. You it, know, it's it a did, great man. movie. And I think the biggest thing was just the dialogue within the characters like all the characters were so well written you felt like you were there with them and just the way they interacted with each other you hung on every line man that's a good point yeah you're right the the writing was incredible so uh what about uh you know and i I know you mentioned halloween did you want to talk about that movie a little bit yeah we can so the thing about halloween was it was the first boogeyman that i really fell for man like I enjoy watching Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, but to boil down to it, Halloween's my series. And even more specific, Halloween 1 and 2. Like, to me, that's one big movie. That's a three-hour extravaganza. Mm -hmm. And Michael Myers, just the music, John Carpenter's direction, Deborah Hill, the writing, everything about that movie is just one of those horror movies that's inspired so much of the things that we fell in love with and watch today and it's a movie that still stands the test of time in my opinion i could watch it any day of the week that's a great movie yeah and and it is i think it's scarier than um what did you what was the other one you said uh nightmare on elm street right yeah freddie and jason both that's a that's a pretty creepy movie too but i think halloween was just a a level above i think something that separates all the movies the idea of Freddy Krueger is definitely terrifying. Like if you couldn't fall asleep, there's really no getting around that. But the thing about Halloween, it was definitely the most realistic of everything of mm-hmm. something that potentially could happen. So are you much of a book reader? Do you have a favorite author or a favorite book? I don't read a lot, though I have read some books over my time. And I did discover some favorite authors. And so it boils down to two people where it's Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen mm-hmm. King. Oh, of course, horror writers, right? <laughs> Keeps my attention. Very cool. Uh, is there anything specific about those two that you enjoy or just in general? Edgar Allan Poe fascinates me. I mean, he was only around for 40 years. He was an inspiration to the world of horror for sure. And opposite of like H.P. Lovecraft, where H.P. Lovecraft was definitely more of a sci-fi guy and he wrote about creatures from the stars and the sea and everything, which is great. 
Edgar Allan Poe wrote about like betrayal and depression and just a lot of those interlocked thoughts and his stories always captivated me. I loved his poetry and I was really fascinated with just his life in general. And probably my favorite thing that Poe wrote was the black cat being a cat mm -hmm. lover than I am and just getting into the mind um, of the character in there and the battle and the struggle that it was. It's just a fascinating story. Awesome. That's pretty insightful too. So what about Stephen King? I know he's like the, they call him the godfather of horror now because he's written so many movies or so many books. What uh, What is it about Stephen King? Yeah, Stephen King definitely kind of took the torch and it's considered the biggest horror writer nowadays. And it's a mystery to see where it goes um, after he leaves us. But the funny thing about King is I would say I'm like an average fan, but I was a big fan of when he wrote under the name of Richard Bachman because my favorite story is The Long Walk. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. The Long Walk is it's a short story, and it can often be found like in a collection of stories under the Richard Bachman name, but it's about a teenager who has to walk across the country, kind of like um, from south to north, I believe. It's been a while since I read it, but the premise is it's almost like a juvenile delinquency program except it's pretty severe. So you have to walk and you're not supposed to stop. If you stop, they start counting. If they get to a certain number, you get a warning. If you get three warnings, they shoot you dead. Wow. If you manage to go an hour without stopping or getting a warning, they take one of your warnings away. So doing what Stephen King does best, just kind of putting the fear out there and the isolation and banding together a group of kids, you know, similar to like he does in, I don't know, a plethora of films, but I use it as an example because that's one of the best kid casts that was written. Um, just, you know, there's people you hate. You get the individual story for each kid, the reason they're there. Then they have to band together to help each other survive. And I can say, honestly, that you've heard the term that it was a book I couldn't put down. That mm -hmm. is a book that I couldn't put down. Like, as I was reading it, it was so late into the night. I remember I stood up and I was walking around reading it and had the lights on just so I could stay awake to finish it just because I really had to know how it ended. Wow. Wow. Do you remember how old you were when you read that? Oh yeah. It wasn't too, I mean, it was probably about 10 years ago. Oh, okay. I was in my twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like it had a pretty big impact on you. And, and I, I definitely can see that you are a little bit deeper layered than I had originally thought. Not, not, saying that in a bad way <laughs> but yeah but you have a lot more insight into the genre of horror than i had originally thought I, I i knew you were the star trek dude i knew you were the um the movie guy i didn't know that you were such a i don't know almost a philosophical kind of a connoisseur of the horror genre I appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely more than meets the eye. It's it's one of those things. I just I've always been driven by the thought process and the emotion of people. Mm -hmm. uh, so out, out of those um, books and movies, I, I know you've read and watched hundreds of movies, maybe even thousands. Uh, is there any character out of all the stories that you can relate to? I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to agree with me and understand my answer and i think you will too it goes back to the first movie i saw in theater scream dude i'm randy <laughs> i've always been randy 
the guy who knew everything about horror movies, collected <laughs> horror movies, and would snap on you quick if you didn't know the rules. Right. Okay. Well, uh, don't snap on me, Randy. I've never <laughs> seen the movie Scream. Oof. <laughs> it hurts. I, I've never seen it, dude. It's just, it was, it came out in the 90s, wasn't it? It was. It, it was the I, movie that changed the game for horror in the 90s. It brought the genre yeah. back. Okay. I wasn't that big into horror at that time in my life. Um, you know, we, we were moving out here to Vegas. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a big life transition, uh, through that whole period. And yeah, I've always been a sci-fi fan over everything else. So the horror genre itself kind of took a backseat to everything else at that point. So do you know why people are fascinated by Scream so much? No, I, I don't yeah. know that much about the movie. So no spoilers, but it's a movie that I think kind of defined the term meta. So it was written by Kevin Williamson, right? And he's okay. gone on to do so many amazing things. And, you know, directed by horror master Wes Craven, you know, from mm -hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's a movie that horror fans needed at the time period. When horror movies were kind of cliche, it's a mm -hmm. movie that basically said, hey, we know horror movies are cliche and we're going we're gonna to talk about it here. But we're still going to show what happens to people who don't follow the rules. And it's put together with an amazing cast and under the direction of Wes Craven, it's it's gold, man. And it's a movie that I literally beg you to watch. Okay. I don't know how it's going to be for you watching it now. Um, you said you hadn't heard many things about it, so it might still impress you the way that I hope. But I think as a first-time watch, it's definitely a movie that will blow your mind. Okay, well, the, the movies that you've referred me to or recommended that I watch, you've never steered me wrong. I will watch it. I'll let you know what I think. Okay. Uh, so, okay, an important question that I like to ask people when I'm interviewing them about their creative process, being that you're a writer, a podcaster, a creative person, um, because I feel that this is a huge motivator for a lot of people. What's your worst fear? So my worst fear is has to do with water, actually. Hmm. I know how to swim. I've been swimming. I... <laughs> used to go swimming in the summer all the time. I'm not afraid to dive in the pool. But similar to like Jaws and things like that, I think that implemented something in my mind where I'm afraid of not knowing what's in the water, but equally, mm -hmm. I think it's being defenseless. You know, when you're in the water, you're not in, you know, short of being Aquaman, you're not in your environment, you're not in your element. I, you know, when I think of, when I see horror movies that have to do with water, it climbs a list for me. It's like, I have to see that because I get goosebumps and I get terrified inside when I see the character who's isolated in the water. Cause anything can happen. And usually it's not the best. Hmm. So you, you said that you know how to swim and you spent time in the water. Has it become a driver for you in your creative pursuits in any way? Well, I definitely don't dive into the ocean and wait for a good idea for a movie. <laughs> I steer clear of anything like that, but okay. I don't know, man. And, and it's probably something deeper. Like I said, it's probably something that just being rendered defenseless, um, maybe deep down in my mind, you know, just has me write these kind of stories of characters being alone and needing to break through different situations. But 
I just honestly, when I think about what scares me, there's so many things that, you know, oh, Dave's afraid of heights. No, man, I'll, I'll tackle it down. Dave's afraid of this. No. Oh, Dave's afraid of the water. I'm like, well, it depends what you mean. But put myself in this situation, I just feel like that's the scariest place you could be is if you're, you know, something like open water. I don't know if you saw that movie, but people, somebody stranded in the middle of the ocean, that is terrifying. I, I do know the story. I don't think I've ever seen the movie. It, is it a couple people out in a raft in the middle of the ocean? Pretty much, and it's based on a true story. Okay. Yeah, that would be a pretty terrifying experience. I, I agree. And the chances of survival would be better if you're in the middle of the Sahara Desert, I think. See, I'm not afraid of the desert. I'll take my chances. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about your filmmaking process. How did you get into making movies? So it definitely started with the passion of loving movies and being fortunate enough to live in this day and age where technology is at our fingertips and you can get in touch with anybody almost now and it's just making those connections and I've been writing ever since I can remember and one day I just thought to myself you know I wonder if I could bring these words to life and mm. something as simple as a smartphone and trying things out and then downloading and paying for expensive apps on your phone to actually construct you know little movies because these phones have 1080p cameras and now 4k cameras you can do anything and now that short films are you know there's an existence for short film there are contests to be won and just giving it a shot to the point of getting an actual film camera and giving it a shot so very cool so are there are we going to see more movies from you in the future it's not something i'm heavily pursuing but it's also one of those things that's never left me and so one of the first things I ever contributed to was a movie called M is for Multiple, where I was battling to be in the ABC's of Death Part 2. I don't know if you mm. ever saw those movies, but no. uh, I was competing for the letter M. I wrote a short film. We filmed it on a negative dollar budget, right? And <sighs> it actually won an award at TCC, you know, for uh, basically an, an audience choice award, which is cool. That means it didn't suck, which, great. You know, one thing yeah, I love cool. is twist endings. I love being able to have an audience watch something and then have it hit them in the face and go, I should have seen that coming. Like, that's so cool. Like, when that ha when a movie can do that to me, I'm on cloud nine. The rest of the movie, it can be whatever. But if you get me at the end, like, then you got me. <laughs> and that's something I love doing. And then I connected with Dee McCauley over Twitter uh, several years ago, and he you know, checked it out and then he wondered what else I had did. And so, you know, he and I kind of collaborated and he lives in Canada. So again, technology, Texas and Canada work. Did I say that right? Canada, <laughs> Texas yeah. and Canada working hand in hand. And we did this film called Scars and it was nominated for an iHorror award. So that was really cool. And, you know, we started working on some other stuff, but we kind of drifted apart because he wanted to go more into doing documentaries. And then all of a sudden I started podcasting and then, you know, passion took there. But yeah, man, just doing that. And then, like I said, I, I wrote another story with the intention of filming it. And I, and I wrote another movie called Roulette. And mm -hmm. Roulette is the movie that actually got produced by Troma. Awesome. Uh, and is that movie available to watch anywhere? It exists in a drive-in grindhouse special because it's a short film. It's consolidated with other short films. I think you, what he calls anthologies, right? Hello. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it exists if you have the Watch Trauma app or watchtrauma.now. 
Okay, well, I'll try to check that out. I think you will see a big Edgar Allan Poe theme in most of my film because it always has to do with being hurt, being betrayed, being alone, and just a crazy twist every time. Well, I did see the trailer, and it looks pretty menacing or or ominous. So <laughs> I kind of I kind of get the Edgar Allan Poe influence there. Uh, now, uh, so I know that you're a sci-fi fan and a horror fan, but uh, you're also a huge classic movies fan. If you had the chance, which genre would you actually like to work in as a filmmaker? If you had the chance. Honestly, it's horror. Um, okay. I love to watch all the genres, and I do love horror, and I do love sci-fi, and man, I can watch any classic movie but that doesn't necessarily mean I could write classic movies. When I write and when I pencil things down, it's always horrific, man. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, I'm not going to give out your email address, but it does have the word <laughs> horror horrific in it. Does. It sure does. So I, I, I am the, – the layers are peeling back, man. This interview is, is really going the way I, would, I had hoped because uh, I'm learning more about you than I ever knew before. Yeah, and make no mistake, man, like I can have a movie night at my house could easily be Casablanca, you know, Halloween or Brigadoon. I'm just all together, who knows. Yeah. Now, when when you're writing movies or stories uh or even for the podcasts. I know you do a, a lot of preparation for the for your podcasts. How much of your own life do you put into storytelling? Tons, man. Honestly, um, when I sit down and write, it's usually in an isolated setting. And when I dive in, it's usually a one-time write. Like I usually write from beginning to end and I will go several days, weeks, months without writing anything. But when I sit down, it's usually in one of my natural settings and no one's around. Something as simple as sitting in the kitchen and all of a sudden I'm the main character and just putting myself in there and it's my own dialogue and being able to tell a story, and then at the end, just make some minor changes here and there. I'm, I honestly feel like the main character of all my stories. Oh, excellent, excellent. I'm not sure if if every writer feels that way. I know that, um, I, I know that every writer takes on a a a, a little piece of each character, or they include a piece of themselves in it, each character. At least the writers that I've interviewed, but. Uh, I don't think I've heard anybody say that every main character is me. <laughs> yeah, and that, that may cool. not be the best thing in the world after you see my movies, but it keeps me writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, whatever works, man. I mean, everybody has their own process. This is about what your process is and what works for you. Um, and that brings me to the last question for this segment. What's your favorite uh, part about making movies? It's two things. It's um, writing, because I really enjoy telling a story. And lately, even though I will say it's next to nothing right now, and it's been several years since I've had the opportunity, I've discovered that I do love acting. I hmm. do things with my friends all the time just to see if I can. Like, that sounds weird. You know the people that will rehearse in the mirror or do what they got to do? I'll often be tempted to pull up an act not to say i'm a good liar but I, I you know catch my drift a good actor maybe got it and uh, I, I enjoy doing that so much so that if i was given the opportunity to be an actor over a writer i might act more 
Seems like it would be a fascinating experience to be an actor. I, I took a filmmaking class in college, and I had a, a fellow student ask me to be the lead in, in his story. And uh, it was a little awkward, and it didn't quite go as planned. Um, there were some some issues in scheduling and certain things, but I did get a little bit of a taste of, of that acting and trying to be somebody else, and it's kind of a cool experience. To do that as a full-time gig, that's got to be the funnest job in the world, man. I'd like to agree with you, but I'm sure a lot of actors would argue us, <laughs> so I've heard. But I hey. think to, to people like you and I, man, yeah, it's oh, – how cool, right? Just Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Because, you, you know, you get to be so many different people. It just seems like it would be an interesting job to have. Especially if you're gifted in the ways of being able to portray different types of characters and be in different genres – and really just kind of see the distance on what you can do with your acting ability uh, rather than just being, which I would never complain if I was in horror movies only. I know you <laughs> asked me about the question earlier, and that's what I would write. But given the chance to act, I would be in so, as many different things as possible. Yeah. yeah. So oh, uh, so when you were making the film with Troma, uh, were you acting or directing uh, or both? I did a little of both. Um, okay. It's something I wrote the short and because I wrote one of the characters really just to be me, I acted the part. Not so good because it was definitely in the beginning. I think I've grown since then. But, you know, I played the part and directed it, which is really hard to do. But being an amateur director, I learned a lot from it, which has got me to kind of where I'm at today, which I love. But, yeah, kind of had my hands in different things on it. Nice. And overall, what was the experience like for you? It was awesome. I mean, yeah. it's again just seeing a story you write come to life in any frame i think it just warms your heart as a creator very cool okay moving on i'd like to discuss the contrast between your professional life versus your personal projects if that's okay yeah absolutely as an independent creator what challenges do you encounter throughout the creative process whether it's writing an episode for your podcast or spending time on a new film project how difficult is it to manage those? In general, I would say as long as you're passionate about it, it's not that difficult. I mean, there are times when I have several different things I want to do for the podcast and I'll change everybody out there's nodding their head right now. Anybody that knows <laughs> me knows I change my mind more often than a schoolgirl's change clothes. I don't know what that means. I heard the term once, but basically, man, I, there's so many different things I want to do, but when I settle down on something, I dive all in and I'm all about it. And I will spend hours in front of my computer getting it prepped, getting it ready, and making magic. And even though I try to give myself a month to put together a podcast, I usually knock it out in two days. You might physically knock it out in two days, but you're thinking about it the whole time, I bet. Well, yeah, but the problem is, is I think of too many different ideas, and the final one I settle on is never the original idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about filming a project, that's a whole different ballgame, and the biggest challenge besides being independent and finances is trying to find locations. I think a lot of people could agree that, yeah, I mean, you can go rent out apartment buildings. You can try to fit, get, you know, 
permission to film in certain areas, but sometimes it's not as easy to do. And so you use or recycle some of your same environments and you try to find ways to make it not look like the same kitchen that you filmed in before or the same location. And so I've done things where I've filmed in color and then I've switched, switched over and filmed in black and white and trying to hide different areas and use shadows, you know, using inspiration of old twenties and thirties movies that I love to watch of just using the scenery differently. So. Very cool. Well, I think we might change the name of this segment to Gorilla Filmmaking 101. <laughs> there <it> is. <laughs> Those are good pointers, man. So going back to the, the writing process, uh, or actually the filmmaking process in, in general, what in your mind does it take to be a good storyteller? It's the characters and it's the reveal. Regardless of what your story is going to be about, there has to be a character that somebody out there can relate to. As soon as you have a relatable character, you've hooked an audience, right? And like I said, I love being able to tell a story that captivates an audience, but then blows them away at the end. Now, I'm not claiming to be M. Night Shyamalan in his heyday. I'm not claiming anything. There are so many filmmakers out there that, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the Saw franchise because as redundant as it seems and as many sequels as there are, it's a fluid storyline and it's characters that you kind of care about. You want to know what happens to them, but at the end of every single movie, there's a twist and it's a twist that you don't predict. And I love being able to do something in that vein when I write a story. Very cool. Uh, and another, another confession I have, I've never watched a single saw movie. Well, since you don't claim to be a huge horror guy, I think yeah. you can get away with it. <laughs> Do your personal and professional endeavors overlap in any way? I think it's my energy. <laughs> a lot of people have come to me and like, Dave, you like you go 90 to nothing. Like when you go, you go all out. And that's just cool. kind of my mentality. Like I mentioned the way I write, that's the way I live. That's the way I do anything. Like when I do my podcast, it's never a dull moment. You know, I'm aggressive. I'm in your face about it. And that's how I am about getting things done. So I think there's tons of overlap. So it's not difficult for you to, spend a whole day at work and then if you got the inspiration you come home and sit down and bang out a story um or you know write write a a prologue to a podcast is that true yeah i mean just again it starts with passion just if you love it then it doesn't go away and also i have a confession to make that everybody already knows but i drink radiation I am a huge monster energy guy. I'm not sponsored oh. by monster though. I would welcome it, but it, you know, being 35, going on 36, being a father, being a full-time worker and then doing all this other stuff in my spare time, it's my coffee. You know, I've never enjoyed hot drinks. So just a cold monster energy drink in the morning, one a day, it gets me going and the passion just carries the rest. So do you sleep? I do at the, yeah, okay. I, I do. I get up early. <laughs> Oh, that was a little bit of a joke, but yeah. I mean, and, and, well, and, and to be funny, uh, you call it sleep. Maybe we call it I crash. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Come down off of that, exactly. off that buzz from the energy drinks. Yeah. My, I only sleep about five hours a night. So I, but I knock out at around ten, ten thirty. I'm just almost helpless. I, I sometimes I have to drag myself to the bed, but four or five o'clock in the morning, I wake up without an alarm clock. And I'm good to go for the rest of the day. 
there is a such thing as sleeping too much, regardless of what anybody wants to argue. So I'm with you on not oversleeping. Like I believe it, man. I mean, if the sun is up, you're wasting the day if you're sleeping. That's my opinion. There it is. <laughs> uh, let's see. So which part of the creative process as a whole do you enjoy the most? I guess it depends what I'm creating because I don't – my writing doesn't have much to do with my podcast because when I podcast about something, it's about a film that someone else wrote. So I think outside of the writing process, it's the presentation. It's the ability to bring things to life. And if I can make a quality podcast that people enjoy, whether it's, man, when's your next episode coming out because, you know, it gets me through my lunch break or, you know, it gets me through times where I love listening to your old episodes – when I know that people like a podcast, I've had somebody come up to me and say, I don't care what you talk about. I just want to hear you talk, man. You know, cause Very cool. you're energetic yeah. and you're like I said, when you go about it, you're always about it. And so I know one thing, and I don't, this isn't going to answer your question, but I want to go ahead and say it too. If anybody hears me for the first time and they're going to gravitate over and check out my work, I don't like to bash things. And so if I talk about something on a podcast or if I make a movie about something, if I'm going to be creative in any vein, it's because I'm passionate about the source material, plain and simple. It's enjoyable to listen to. I agree. And if anybody listening to this wants to go head over and listen to Dave's podcast, wait until you finish the end of this one and then go check him out. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, and it's it, man. We live in a world with so much negativity. If you want to hear something positive, come hear me. And with that That's being exactly said, right. I don't yeah. know when this episode's coming out, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to be around the same time where you debut on my podcast. So we'll have more positive collaboration. Sweet. What is your dream job? It's a tie between two things. Now, I know we live in a world where you got to make money. So assuming I would make enough money for a sustainable income, one of those things is podcast. I mean, I love podcasting. You love Sweet. podcasting. Dude, Sweet. if I could be, I know some of these people, they make a living off podcasting. Why not me? <laughs> Let's do yeah. it, you know? But, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of those aren't big movie podcasts, you know, they're uh, more talk show stuff and I think it's clear people know I can talk. So, let's mm -hmm. let's get that going. But also, man, as mentioned before, I'd love to be an actor. And to be honest, just to throw one more so you have a top three, this is something that I've <laughs> I've pictured myself doing and I would love to do. And I don't think it's too far away from acting or podcasting, but it's combining both. I want to host Turner Classic Movies. That You know, each time, like you had Robert and then you have Ben, there's always the main guy and then the younger guy who's up and coming. I'm 35. Put me in there. Let me be the next young guy. Great answers, Dave. Appreciate that. Appreciate your insight on all that. And this segment will tie in the process of storytelling with the focus of this podcast, Dead Hand Radio. I call it the future of storytelling. I've interviewed many creative people and have been impressed with the level of imagination and how insightful these people are. Some have a strong desire to impact the world in a positive way through their creative process. Should writers, filmmakers, and even podcasters to some degree ever take a civic approach to address social issues in their projects? kind of a subjective answer so i clock out <laughs> as i say in my podcast a lot from reality um, and try not to take too much of the socialism and everything that's going on in the world but other filmmakers have been extremely successful in doing so in especially in the horror genre uh, and as of late jordan peele <laughs> uh well can you be more specific which project uh is 
Well, you he's about? you know he's up and coming. The guy's been around forever as a comedian. He's hilarious, <laughs> but he's been a diehard horror movie fan. And ever since he's entered the genre, he's given us the movies Get Out and Us, where he tackles huge social issues in the world. You know anything from you know gender, race, uh, just I mean everything. Those are two big standouts, especially because of his first movie. But when the guy he tackles something, he hits it head on, and so far it's brought a new world to horror. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm, if I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying basically it's a it's a creator's choice if that's what they want to do. If they want to address those social issues, then by all means do it in a way that's creative and entertaining, but don't give us in-your-face political satire that's uh, going to be offensive to half of the audience or something like that. Is that what you're kind of saying? A, yeah, that's 100% right, man, because I'm not somebody who hangs on every word from the news. I barely check out the news. And with the days <laughs> of social media, you kind of don't have to. It's in your face. And Definitely. it doesn't interest me. Like, I live in this world, but I'm a part of a different world. And a lot of us know that world. And we have fun. We don't cause issues. We just have a good time and we enjoy what we want. But if a filmmaker can take something that's going on and flip it on its head and give us an entertaining story in a positive view. I'm all about it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and he's not the only one to do that there. I think through history, uh, artists and creators have, um, have addressed social issues in their work and they do it in a way that is, I mean, it's almost hidden. Like you, like Star Trek was a, a big proponent of, like women's rights and including minorities in their casts, uh, addressing social issues in the different episodes. Uh, they were kind of a groundbreaking entertainment TV series at the time for, for what they were doing. But uh, they were also addressing social issues that were important to people, but it was kind of hidden almost, right? I love that you bring that up because that's an even better example. And you're 100% right, man. They tackle everything. And you want to talk about political things that I can actually stand? <laughs> it's <laughs> Star Trek. Like, people describe Star Trek as a political show, right? And if you had told me that, I would have not interested. I'd be like, nope. Yeah. Dad, don't even, you know, go watch something else. But the way that they crafted in there, like you said, it's hidden, but it's really good storytelling. And you're right, man. Everything about Star Trek is just including anyone and everyone, and that's kind of what made me fall in love with Star Trek in general. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I love Star Trek. I always have since I was a little dude. Um, you know, I don't think I watched the original TV series when it first aired because I think that was in the late 60s. But I do remember watching reruns back in the 70s, and I was hooked ever since I was a little kid. I know this is my interview, but can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite Star Trek movie? Oh, man, I think it would have to be um, uh, The Wrath of Khan. I just love Ricardo Montalban in that movie, man. He's so epic. Yeah, Fantasy Island. (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of the movie, right? Yeah, Wrath of Khan. You got it, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie, man. What's your favorite Star Trek movie? The motion picture. Oh, right on. Good movie. It kind of lost a little bit for me because it's so um, cerebral, I think, is the word I would use for that. How many times have you seen it or tried to? 
I've seen it at least two times, and the last time I saw it, I understood it a lot better. Yep. But it was it was still so. It's just so. I don't know, man. It's. It's not to be today's very, Star Trek. You have to look at it very intellectually, and it it, it takes a little bit too much thinking for me. <laughs> <laughs> not that I hate it. I don't hate it. I really like the movie, but. Um, yeah, it felt like a a little bit more work than I like to put into trying to figure out what's going on with a movie. Yeah, it's definitely the mind of Gene Roddenberry and his vision of what Star Trek was, and even like his and, and I hate to say the term failed, but the failed pilot episode, uh, the Cage, was ruled out because one of the reasons it was too intellectual, and so mm. he brings it to the movie, and it's a movie that I've seen six, seven, eight times now. Uh, thankful to our buddy, actually Evan at From the Waste on Twitter. He broke me down. He's like, yeah, watch it again. But you know what? Look at it as a 70s sci-fi movie, not a Star Trek movie. I was like, okay. And when I did, everything came together. And now it's my favorite. Oh, nice. Okay. Without getting political, of the many issues that our society is faced with today, what do you consider to be the greatest threat to human life on Earth? Is it okay to say the media? Oh, that's a good one, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I I would agree with you that it's one of the biggest threats to human life. I I totally agree with you on that. But okay, go ahead and explain your answer. It's one of those things where they say too much of a good thing is bad, and I think it puts us in the area of being able to know too much and letting the truth be stretched in different directions for different benefits has just created the chaos that we're dealing with right now. And, and I'm not saying it's all media's fault, but it sure ain't helping. Mm. I, I think you're being kind, man. Yeah. I think I think you're being a little bit generous with, uh, with um, what you're saying about the media. I think that some of them are flat-out liars. They're uh, motivated by a different agenda than helping the uh, the population of our country and of our world i think they're driven by money and greed above all else and um i don't think it's one side or the other i think both sides have agendas that they're trying to push forward on the on the population and keeping people divided is their number one um their number one focus in my opinion I think you you hit the nail on the head a little harder, and maybe I was being kind, but that's just kind of who I am. I just kind of sit yeah. back and watch it unfold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you were being kind, in my opinion, man. I think the media is is rotten to the core. Do you think that the that the corruption of the modern day mainstream media is dangerous enough to potentially and the world as we know it. Possibly. I don't know which direction things are going to go. It seems like every day there's something new. But I will say, I don't know a lot about a post-apocalyptic world, but if the world starts to end, I know a few post-apocalyptic guys, uh, you being one of them, that (laughs) I will have to call on to to figure out how to survive in a world where the media is gone, and now I can't watch my movies. Yeah, no no internet, no movies. That would certainly suck. 
And the only way for humanity to survive is to pull together as a community. And like I said, man, the division that we're experiencing right now because of the mainstream media, um, we have to be better than that. You know, you can listen to your favorite news show uh, or whatever, but don't let that taint your view of your neighbors, of your friends, of your family. I have family members who won't talk to each other because they disagree on either side of the political spectrum. You know, what is the point of that? It's We're not in a civil war. It, it's not a life or death situation. If you disagree on a political view, say you disagree and move on. But don't lose friends or family or get in a feud with your neighbor over that nonsense. You people need each other to come together as a community and be whole in order to survive this. And we're experiencing one of the biggest threats to our civilization that we've had in a generation, maybe two generations since World War II. So people need to pull together and remember that we're a community and we need to stick together and help each other to get through these things. I think the biggest advice I can give on that, since I try to stay away from all those kind of conversations, because like, like you said, it causes more war than anything, is just people need to remember that everybody has differences, but why not focus on what you have in common? Mm-hmm. That'll get you through more than anything else, more than your differences will. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Good advice. So as a writer and a storyteller, if you could create a character to deal with these issues, what would that character look like? He looks like me, man. I'm not vain. <laughs> I'm not, right I promise on. I'm not that guy, but you know what? That I deal with these issues in my way and, because of it, it doesn't affect me so bad. I know some people that, you, you just like you mentioned, that are torn politically or other people that maybe are willing to cut ties for the smallest of things. And you know what? I'm not going to do that to anybody, man. You believe what you want. That's cool. Can we talk about something else that's better? And that's my outlook on it. Right on. So what I take away from that is you're not saying we need Superman or batman to come to our rescue we just need to step up and be real human beings treat each other with kindness and respect above all else absolutely man that though i shame. do love i do love your dc reference <laughs> <laughs> well that was for you man i, I know you're a dc it. fan that was totally for you because <laughs> I, I would have picked spider-man or iron man myself i'm a i'm a marvel fan but then i've been a, a spider-man fan since i was about seven years old so there's nothing going to change that awesome so this uh, this brings us pretty much to the end of the, the discussion. Uh, I appreciate all your insight and um, sharing so much of yourself and your interests and inspirations with us, Dave. But uh, before I let you go, I want to let people know how, that, how they can get a hold of you and if there's anything that you're working on that we can look forward to. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on here. I know, you know, we've been talking for a few months. We've become really good friends. And because of that, I hope to come back and talk to you about some movies in the future. I'm going to love to bring you back on my show. We just knocked out an awesome episode that everybody could check out called Beast from Haunted Cave. So if you want to hear that episode, the podcast that you're looking for is called The Terrible Terror Podcast. The podcast produces about three episodes a month where my buddy Brian does the main show. And I'm kind of the guy that does the B-show, right? I cover horror and sci-fi from the 1920s through the 1980s. And so if you pay attention to the Terrible Terror podcast, you'll see that 
once, maybe twice a month, something that pops up. It says the podcast from another world. That's my show. That's how I'm able to be that late night host, that Terror classic movie host that I wanted to be. Um, but yeah, if, if anybody wants to just converse with me, you can find me on Twitter. I have the other things too, but you're going to find me on Twitter. That's where I spend most of my time. And that's where I've made a lot of my just truest and best friends. And my handle is at Dave underscore Phantom. And if you like everything we talked about, horror, sci-fi, that's the place to be. But if you liked a little bit of that DC, that little Marvel niche, got a YouTube channel. It kind of spawned off my old podcast called Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. And just go search it up, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, YouTube. You'll find it. There's probably four or five episodes out, maybe six by now. But we're going to consistently put episodes out. It's uh, two of my close buddies, Neil and Ed the Undead. And we don't do horror on there. And we try to make it kid-friendly as much as possible so everybody can check it out. And I'd just like to follow that up and say all of Dave's content is worthy of listening to. Uh, he's always got a positive spin on everything that he puts out. And it's just good entertainment. Well, that was it for this episode, folks. If you have questions or comments about the conversation, you can reach me at deadhandradio at gmail.com. Or you can connect with me on Twitter at deadhandradio. If you'd like to leave me a voice message that may be included in a future episode of the podcast, go to anchor.fm forward slash deadhand forward slash message. You've been listening to Dead Hand Radio, and this is Andrew Hall. Thanks for listening.